In this chapter, we have various occasions for Samson to avenge the Lord's quarrel against the Philistines. Hear now the reading of the word of Almighty God, Judges 15, starting at verse 1. But it came to pass within a while after, in the time of wheat harvest, that Samson visited his wife with a kid, and he said, I will go in to my wife into the chamber. But her father would not suffer him to go in. And her father said, I verily thought that thou hadst utterly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to thy companion. Is not her younger sister fairer than she? Take her, I pray thee, instead of her. And Samson said concerning them, Now shall I be more blameless than the Philistines, though I do them a displeasure. And Samson went and caught three hundred foxes, and took firebrands, and turned tail to tail, and put a firebrand in the midst between two tails. And when he had set the brands on fire, he let them go into the standing corn of the Philistines, and burnt up both the shocks and also the standing corn, with the vineyards and olives. Then the Philistines said, Who hath done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he had taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burnt her and her father with fire. And Samson said unto them, Though ye have done this, yet... Will I be avenged of you? And after that, I will cease. And he smote them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. And he went down and dwelt in the top of the rock Etam. Then the Philistines went up and pitched in Judah and spread themselves in Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why are ye come up against us? And they answered, To bind Samson are we come up to do to him as he hath done to us. Then three thousand men of Judah went to the top of the rock Etam and said to Samson, Knowest thou not that the Philistines are rulers over us? What is this that thou hast done unto us? And he said unto them, As they did unto me, so have I done unto them. And they said unto him, We are come down to bind thee that we may deliver thee into the hand of the Philistines. And Samson said unto them, Swear unto me that ye will not fall upon me yourselves. And they spake unto him, saying, No, but we will bind thee fast and deliver thee into their hand. But surely we will not kill thee. And they bound him with two new cords and brought him up from the rock. And when he came unto Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burnt with fire, and his bands loosed from off his hands, and he found a new jawbone of an ass, and put forth his hand and took it, and slew a thousand men therewith. And Samson said, with the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with the jaw of an ass have I slain a thousand men. 
And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking, that he cast away the jawbone out of his hand and called that place Ramath Lehi. And he was sore athirst and called on the Lord and said, Thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant. And now shall I die for thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? But God clave an hollow place that was in the jaw, and there came water thereout. And when he had drunk, his spirit came again, and he revived. Wherefore he called the name thereof En-Hakor, which is in Lehi unto this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines twenty years. Thus far the reading of God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible word, Judges chapter 15. Verses 1 through 8 of this passage, we have Samson's vengeance on the Philistines because of the covenant breaking of his wife and her father and the Philistines' barbarous cruelty toward them described. This was in the time of the wheat harvest, God working according to his purpose to seek an opportunity and occasion against the Philistines has this happen at the ideal time. Samson comes to visit his wife with a kid. Samson has regard for his marriage, unlike his Philistine wife. He actually considers their marriage an important thing to restore it and to use it properly. This is to be commended in him, though the marrying of the daughter of a foreign god is to be condemned. And notice, again, the lawlessness of the Philistines. The father of this girl would not allow Samson the rights of his marriage. This is lawless. This is wicked. It's depriving him of a right he has, and the father has no business interfering with. Now, notice, again, the Philistine mindset, verse 2. Her father said, I verily thought that thou hadst utterly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to thy companion. Notice, what is it that he's doing? He's shifting the blame from himself for his wicked and lawless deed against the marriage of Samson to his daughter. Oh, well, it's your fault, Samson. I thought you hated her. And so I'm, you know, yeah, I gave her to somebody else, but it's really your fault. <clears throat> Matthew Poole comments, This was not sufficient cause, for he should have endeavored a reconciliation or waited for it, and not have disposed of another man's wife without his consent, which is not only against the law of God, but of nature also. What happens in marriage? What's the natural order? Well, the two become one flesh. So how can you take another man's half and give it to someone else. That's ludicrous. It's lawless. Let us avoid the sin of blaming others for our own evil ways with pretexts. This is what is known as an apology. Go apologize to your brother or your sister, parents tell their children falsely, because an apology means go make your defense. Go give an excuse for your deeds. 
Repentance is where you confess your sins. You acknowledge the evil that you've done. You say the same thing that God says. That's what confession means. Kon is together with, phazo is to say, same in Greek, homologeo, to say the same thing. You confess your sins, you say what God says about it. You defend your sins, you say, here's my reason I sinned. I thought you utterly hated my daughter, so it was fine for me to take her and marry her off to your friend. No, that's not fine. And we must avoid this sin of blaming others for our evil ways, or what will we do? We will not repent of our sins. We will not turn from our sins. We will not be forgiven for our sins. We will justify our sins and go to hell, cleaving to our self-justification. Now notice, even worse and more dingy is verse 2. Take her younger sister. Look, she's prettier. Why don't you take her? Do you know this is incestuous? He's already married to this girl's sister. He can't take the other one too. Leviticus 18 makes that very clear. But these heathen have no conscience. They don't believe that they should do what their conscience tells them to. So the conscience stops speaking to them. This is an incestuous match suggested by the father of Samson's wife. And so Samson says that he will be blameless or more blameless than the Philistines, though he should do them a displeasure. Samson is taking vengeance upon them. They are the oppressors and tyrants who rule lawlessly over Israel, and he's going to do them, he says, a displeasure. What does he do? Well, think about this. He catches 300 foxes all by himself. He ties their tails together with firebrands in between the tails and sets them on fire all by himself. No one's helping Samson. He works all by himself with a strength beyond the strength of nature. Now, Samson in his sins is no type of Christ. But in his works, in his goodness, in his power, in the spirit of God upon him, yes, he is a type of our Lord Jesus Christ, doing what is impossible with a power beyond the order of nature to deliver the people of God from their oppressors. That's what our Lord Jesus Christ has done, even greater than Philistines being destroyed by Samson. He sets brands on fire in between the tails and he sends these foxes into the standing corn of the Philistines. This is very wise. If a fox has fire on its tail, what do you think it's going to do? Run. If you have two of them with fire and their tails tied together, where are they going to go? Nowhere. This one goes this way. This one goes that way. Where do they go? Nowhere. They might go into the corn and set it on fire, which is exactly what Samson has planned. The Philistines... How do they respond? Well, let's fight fire with fire, they say. And who do they destroy? Who do they kill? Do you remember this wicked, conniving wife of Samson's? The continual drip of a contentious wife? What does she get? What does she get out of the deal? She still gets burned with fire. Even though she took the information that Samson gave her and betrayed her husband, to spare her own skin, now her skin is burned upon her. She and her father are burnt with fire. 
And the Philistines don't do this out of some kind of concern for justice, but with a lawless revenge. And perhaps thinking that they're helping Samson. Maybe they're afraid of Samson. They don't want him to come back. So let's kill off those that betrayed him. But this doesn't work in their favor either. The Geneva Bible notes that the Philistines do not punish for the love of justice, but for the fear of danger. They might do the right thing in punishing the wicked and perfidious as they were, but not for the right reason, not in the right way. Samson then avows that he will punish them and be avenged upon them, verse 7, as a public judge in Israel. So then, verses 9 through 17, we have Samson's vengeance again, occasioned by another event, the treachery of the men of Judah. Verse 9, the Philistines went up and pitched in Judah. This is where the rock Etam was that we read about Samson going to. And they came to bind Samson and to do to him as he hath done to us. They expect to imprison him. They expect to punish him and perhaps even to make sport of him as we find later in the book of Judges. But you'll notice, what are they doing in the land of Judah? Is that their homeland? Is that where they have authority? Is that where God assigned to them a place? No, they're tyrannical. And they come to seek vengeance against Samson, but they have no right to avenge themselves. They've invaded a foreign land. And so God avenges himself and his quarrel against them. The men of Judah come to Samson in verse 11 and they ask him, Knowest thou not that the Philistines are rulers over us? The Geneva Bible again, Such was their gross ignorance that they judged God's great benefits to be a plague to them. Now, what was the benefit God gave them? Samson, to fight against the Philistines, to kill their people, to drive them out. Isn't that a blessing? And yet, look what they say. Oh, this causes us trouble. Do you remember when God came to deliver the people of Israel out of Egypt? Do you remember that Moses caused problems for them? And what did they say? Were they grateful? Thank you, Lord, you've come to deliver us by sending us a prophet. Is that what they said? They grumbled. They were displeased. You've made our bondage harder. They don't realize the benefit of God's salvation. And what of us? Does God bless us with unending prosperity and everything is smooth sailing in our Christian life? Is that how God causes us to grow? No, we have to suffer. We have to be deprived of the things that we want. We have to come under persecution or famine or sword. And God uses that to grow his church. And we say, oh, don't you know that the devil rules over us? Why are you trying to break off his bonds over us? But that's what God is doing. He's breaking the bonds of the Philistines who rule over us so that we may be servants of his. Samson identifies the principle of civil justice in verse 11, he says, as they did unto me, so have I done unto them. This is the job of a civil magistrate to bring vengeance, to bring the sword of God's quarrel down on his adversaries, to punish them that do evil, to praise them that do good, as we'll see in 1 Peter. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ did this as well, did he not? 
What did the Jews do to him? They crucified him. They betrayed him. They falsely accused him. And what did Jesus Christ do to them? He took away their city. He took away their temple. He took away their freedom. He brought them into slavery. He did to them as they had done unto him. Now the Jews, for their part here in verse 12, they make a promise to Samson that they would not kill him. He binds them by this promise. Promise me, swear unto me that you will not fall upon me yourselves. In other words, kill me. And they say in verse 13, no, but we will bind thee fast and deliver thee into their hands. Now this is very wise on Samson's part. The Jews can now say we're guiltless. So the Philistines can do nothing to them. They can only blame Samson because he's bound them to say, we're not going to kill you so they will shed no innocent blood. And they will have the favor of the Philistines by delivering Samson over to them. And Samson will be able to kill the Philistines. It's a win, win, win. So they bind him with two new cords. They bring him up from the rock. Do you remember? Is this familiar? Do you know of someone whom the Jews brought bound to the heathens? Even our Lord Jesus Christ bound over and handed over to the Philistines of his day, the Romans. I note then this doctrine that the histories of the Old Testament, as well as the laws of worship and government to Israel, contain types and four prophesyings of our Lord Jesus Christ, his person, his work, some of the circumstances even of his life and death, prophesied to us through historic persons in the Old Testament. We even see types of the church of Christ, of the glory of his kingdom, of his body, his bride, and more. So then as we read the scriptures, as we read through on our own or in family worship, reading the word of God, let us keep our eyes open. Let us see the types of our Lord Jesus Christ and rejoice in this, that we don't have mere shadows. We don't have mere types. We have the substance to which Samson is pointing us. We have none other than Christ betrayed on our behalf so that he might die and we might live. Now note verse 14. When he comes to Lehi, that is where the Philistines are encamped, they shout, they do, these heathens shout, we've won, we have the victory. And what happens when they shout? The spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him at the very time of his most intense opposition by the Philistines, God is working in Samson. Do we again say, Lord, I don't want any opposition. You know what we're saying. I don't want to be blessed with your spirit. I don't want to have your spirit poured out on me as you did on Samson. I want no one to oppose me. I want an easy way home. But here, notice, God comes to our help in the time of our greatest distress in the time of intense opposition, and then what? The cords become as burnt flax. Flax contains an oil in it that makes it very flammable. You catch it on fire, it's done. It's gone. And so the strength that God gave him, a supernatural power to overcome even the binding of Samson. God brings to him the jawbone of an ass 
He puts forth his hand. He took and slew 1,000 men with it. Again, his arm alone doing the work with some kind of tool or instrument that you would say to yourself, how can you kill one person with the jawbone of an ass, much less 1,000 men? How can you do that? Well, it's not possible without the power of God. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ suffered so that we might reign. Our Lord Jesus Christ died so that we might have life. He became poor so that we might become rich. And what was the place where he did this? Golgotha, the place of the what? The skull, like the jawbone of an ass, destroying the adversaries of his people, bringing in salvation again. Samson is a type of our Lord Jesus Christ by a mighty slaughter, bringing by his unlikely tool the life of his people. And he does with his own arm, no one helping Samson, no armies to fight together with him, no prophetess to come along and urge him on, just him working for the salvation of his people. Samson then memorializes these events, verse 16, with the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with the jaw of an ass have I slain a thousand men. Now this is poetic irony here. You notice it's in poetic form. It's not ordinary prose where it's just describing history. He's saying something to memorialize what has happened. Now this word jawbone is Lehi. It's the same name as the place where the Philistines have encamped. Lehi in verse 14. Exact same word. Now the word for an ass is ha-hamor. Hamor is the ass. And the heap is the hamor as well. So again, there's some poetry going on within the Hebrew text itself. The heaps and the ass's jawbone, the ass and the heaps are almost the same word. It shows us the irony, the wit, and the poetry of Samson as he destroys the adversaries of God's people. He says he has slain a thousand men. How likely is that? that God would destroy the enemies with a jawbone. We are to glory in what? Our weakness, Paul says. We're to glory in the cross where the Romans would take their criminals and put them to death. We're to glory in that cross because there our Lord died for us at the place of the skull. Another memory is raised up here in verse 17. He calls the place, Samson does, Ramoth Lehi. That is the place, the high place of the jawbone. Just like our Lord was crucified on the high place of the skull. So here, Samson destroys them in the high place of the jawbone. Verses 18 through 20, we have the lack of water and the supply of living water from the jawbone. He was sore athirst, verse 18 tells us. Again, what did our Lord say on Golgotha? I thirst, he said. Bearing the work that God had put upon him, bearing the sins of his people, moving to destroy their adversaries and to save them, he thirsted in that work. So here, Samson. 
And what does he do in his thirst? He calls on the Lord and says, Thou hast given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant. Here we see Samson's faith in God's great power. And the work that he was accomplishing as the servant of God, as a type of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, give me to satisfy my thirst, lest I fall to the adversary. And what does God do? God answers his prayer. Notice verse 19. God clave in hollow place that was in the jaw, and there came water thereout. Have you ever seen a jaw spew forth a stream of water? No, this is impossible. This isn't what happens. Rocks don't give forth water or honey. And the jawbone of an ass might give you a little bit of marrow, but not water to satisfy the thirst of a man who's killed a thousand. God uses again this unlikely instrument to save and heal, to bring life to his servant. So notice verse 19, he calls this place En Hakor. En is a fountain. Ha is the, and Kor is the one who calls. Samson, he's the one who called on the Lord. And when he called upon the Lord, what did God do? He brought waters of life. He brought a fountain to revive his spirits, to bring him to life again, to raise him, so to speak, from the dead. Call then upon the Lord for salvation and for strength, for life and for healing through what? Through Golgotha, through the place of the skull, through him who is bruised and crushed, brought low so that we might be brought very high. And then notice verse 20, he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. Now his judgeship was not that of great victories with military prowess. These are small victories, but they're preparing us for the final victory in the son of David and even in David himself. And thus far the exposition of Judges chapter 15.